0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: An anthropomorphism, I don't expect you to know that word, I want you to know that I know that word. An anthropomorphism, (laughs) I'm just joking, is when, listen, is when an anthropomorphism is when you assign, it's very simple, it's a big word, but it's very simple. It's when you assign a human characteristic to something that is not human. For example, the Bible talks about the hand of God, or the Bible talks about God sees everything, the eyes of God. Well, God doesn't have eyes, and God doesn't have a hand because we know that God is spirit. And they that worship him must what? Worship him in spirit and in truth. So God doesn't have hands and God doesn't have eyes, but it's a way, and anthropomorphism is a way to explain that God sees and that God can touch. It's a way to explain it. And people do it all the time. I mean, people do it with their pets. I do it with my pet, my, with my dog. People do it with their dogs. They say, oh, my dog is sad. Well, you don't know if your dog is sad. He didn't tell you. Not most people thought, I'll put it that way. He's not a person, although some of y'all think your pets are, but they're not. A people, you hear people say all the time, you'll say, hey, do you have kids? And they say, no, we got cats. I'm like, do I need to tell you a cat is different than a baby? Okay, you cannot leave your cat for eight hours, your, your baby for eight hours, and expect it to use the kitty litter When you go to work, it's totally, totally different. But people do it all the time just to make a point, just to explain. In our text, God's heart is greatly grieved and he's sad. And since we can't understand what's happening in God's heart, God tried to express it in human terms. It's called an anthropomorphism. I greatly regret that I have set Saul up as king. Fast forward to verse 35, it says the same thing. The Lord regretted that he made Saul king. So there's pain in God's heart, but no, there's also pain in the prophet's heart. Samuel is a man of God. The word grieved means hot, furious, angry. Samuel is upset. So Saul's sin hurt the heart of God, and it hurt the heart of God's people, and it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. In verses 12 through 16, Samuel couldn't sleep. Getting that? He gets up in the morning. He went looking for Saul. Keep in mind, Samuel's old. So Samuel makes a 15-mile journey asking where Saul is, and someone said, oh, Saul, he's out setting up monuments for himself. Saul's something else, isn't he? Setting up monuments for himself. Saul, great king. Saul, great king all over town. Saul wasn't grieved over his sin. That's the problem here. He wasn't sorry for his sin. Instead, he probably thought he did something good and that he was totally justified in what he did. And so Samuel meets up with Saul and note verse 13. I love it. Samuel, Saul says, blessed are you of the Lord, Sammy. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. You know what? That's God talk. In doublespeak, Samuel said, did you do all I commanded you? Saul said, absolutely. Samuel said, then why do I hear the bleating of a sheep and the lowing of an oxen? Did not tell you to destroy everyone and everything, including the animals? That's not good. Now, it's interesting because Saul thought he was obeying God, and the evidence of disobedience could be heard in a livestock. Did you pick that up? Probably the evidence of disobedience could be smelt. Did you pick that up? Saul said, I thought I would do God a favor and save the best sheep for the offering to the Lord. So Samuel said, and who is this guy? And Saul said, oh, that's Agag. He's the king of the Amalekites. I bought him back as a trophy. Now listen, you know, if this story wasn't so funny, it's sad. It would be so, fu- it's so funny and sad at the same time. If you're taking notes, write this down. Matter of fact, write it in, write it in your Bible in ver, next to verse 15. Write lame excuses. Lame excuses. Because Saul begins to offer a bunch of lame excuses why he didn't fully follow the command of the Lord. Did you get that? First, Saul blames the people. The people spared the best of the sheep. Secondly, he excludes himself from the disobedience but includes himself in the obedience. The rest we have utterly destroyed. Thirdly, Saul justifies what was kept because it was fine quality. Well, we are all very discerning about these things. We've looked everything over and kept the best stuff. Fourthly, finally, probably worse, Saul claims to do it for a spiritual reason. We did it to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Verse 16, and Samuel said, shut up be quiet. That's enough of excuses. Samuel said, I'll tell you what the Lord told me last night. And in verse 17, note verse 17, let, let's read it. So, cause we didn't read it. Look at verse 17. So Samuel said, when you were little, so he told him to be quiet. Let me tell you what the Lord said. Here's what God said. When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribe of Israel? It did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. And when when did you not obey the voice? And why did you not, pardon me, obey the voice of the Lord your God? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, "But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and gone on the mission which the Lord sent me, and brought back Agag, the king of the Amalek of Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took of the plunder sheep, the people y'all getting that? the people took of the plunder, the sheep, the oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed." to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal so Samuel said Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey, come on, read it with me. To obey is better than sacrifice, come on, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord He also has rejected you from being king. Stop right there. So Samuel's heart sounds broken, doesn't it? When you were little in your eyes and the Lord anointed you as king, the Lord sends you on a mission to utterly destroy the sinners and to fight them until they are no more. Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul still doesn't get it in verse 19. He says, I obeyed the voice of the Lord. The only thing I didn't do was kill the king. What's the big deal? And look at verse 15 again. Because I missed this actually until today. It's really telling. In verse 15 again. For the people, look at the look look about halfway through. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Ah. Very smart. Not the Lord our God, not the Lord my God, but the Lord, say it with me, your God. Saul is saying, Samuel, he's your God. Saul's God was Saul. The Lord is the God of Samuel, not Saul. In his pride and rebellion, I hope y'all getting something out of this. In his pride and rebellion, Saul had removed the Lord from the throne of his heart and it led to ruin, the ruin of rebellion. Notice he says in verse 15, and the rest we have destroyed. That's a lie. The reason we know that is because they pop up, they, the Amalekites pop up later. 1 Samuel 27, write it down. 1 Samuel 30, write it down. 2 Samuel 8, King David is fighting the Amalekites. As a matter of fact, several years after this time, in the days of Esther, there's a man by the name of Haman, Are you with me? Who will devise a plot to kill all the Jewish people in the days of Esther. Haman is a descendant of guess who? The Amalekites. And who is their king? Agag. Haman is a descendant of Agag. And here is the irony of all ironies. I'm trying to get done with this. Here's the ironies of all ironies. When Saul loses his life, the person who thrusts the final blow to kill Saul is an Amalekite. 2 Samuel chapter 1. Read it in your own time. Lesson is, partial obedience will always lead to your harm, even your demise. Verse 20, Saul said, Samuel, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. Just One little thing, I brought back a king, but I destroyed the Amalekites. Now listen, it's crazy. How do you say you obey the Lord, but you have an Amalekite? Think about that. How do you say I obey the Lord, but I have an Amalekite? I've got my own. I can hear him saying, listen, Sammy, don't sweat it. We only took the things so we could sacrifice to the Lord. Verse 22. Samuel said, has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. In other words, God doesn't want your presence. He wants your obedience. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness. Listen, people, please, 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 I beg you, listen. Look at this verse. Stubbornness is as the sin of witchcraft. And you have your list of the worst of the worst, and God has His. I bring this up to you all the time because I hear it all the time, and it's not right for Christians to have their own little do's and don'ts. I don't like this, and I don't like that, and people who wear tattoos, and people who do this, and people who do that, and people who go there, and oh, God's going to. Who are you? How about this? Read your Bible and find out what really hurts the heart of God. Stubbornness, I'm waiting while you clap your hands. How about trying that for a minute? And you'll find that God's list is a whole lot different than yours. Stubbornness is like witchcraft. So, young folks, listen. I'm not trying to pick on you, I'm just telling you what the Bible says, don't shoot the messenger. When you are stubborn against your parents, the Bible, God puts that in the category of witchcraft. In other words, it's evil, it's demonic. Or it has a demonic influence, it has a demonic element. I'm trying to help you. It has a demonic influence and a demonic element, stubbornness does. Whether you're stubborn against your parents or whether you're stubborn against the Lord or whether you're stubborn against the police officer who tells you to stop talking or whatever it might be. Stubbornness is as a sin of God's economy is so different than ours. And I guess, if anything, I try to tell you every single week, I'm just trying to help you understand that God's economy and God's ways are so different than ours. And I want you to be educated Christians. And I want you to be wise Christians. And I want you to be biblical Christians who 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 hear something and you can say, That doesn't sound that right to me. Because God's word says this, and God's word so then when you run across people who are legalistic and judgmental and censorious, and you can identify that very, very easily. So you get one guy telling you, oh, you you went to the club last night, and God, oh, God hates the club. (laughs) Well, don't get me wrong. I don't think you should be going to the club either. Don't get me wrong. Please, don't go to the club. It's not a good place. But I'm just telling you, don't look at the person that goes to the club, but the person that goes to church every Sunday, but they are stubborn as a rock. And they're Okay. Stop it. It's not the Lord. Stubbornness is the sin of witchcraft. That's heavy. And that's like a bing eye opener. Stubbornness is like the sin of witchcraft. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Now look at verse 24. We're going in for a landing right to verse 35. Then Saul said to Samuel. You look at verse 24, say amen. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words. That's good. That's good. Right to there. Right right to there. I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Not so good. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel watched and said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul grabbed the edge of his robe and tore it. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours. I guess they live on the same block. (laughs) I really never saw that until like right now. Um, A neighbor of yours who is better than you. (laughs) And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. And then he said, I have sinned, Yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. And so Samuel turned back after Saul. And Saul worshiped the Lord. And then Samuel said, Bring Agag the Amalekite here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously. I bet you did. (laughs) And Agag said... Surely the bitterness of death is past. We'll see about that. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. Things are heating up. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. And then Samuel went to Ramah. And Saul went into his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, for the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Stop right there. So far, so good. Saul seems to be genuinely repentant, but that changes as he continues. Notice he says, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. And again, Saul's refusing to own up to his own sin. And he blames the people. And this actually just excuses one sin for another, doesn't it? Because he said you should have trusted the Lord. He should have trusted the Lord more than feared the people. You should have trusted the Lord and feared the people less. And when you become people pleasers, you run to the risk of disobeying God. Saul wants to worship with Samuel. Samuel says, no. Now, this is interesting. Why? Because worship would have included sacrificing in animals, yes? And it would probably included sacrificing the animals that Saul spared from the Amalekites. And Samuel said, I don't want any part of that. Samuel turns to walk away, and Saul tore his robe. Verse 28, Samuel said, the Lord has torn the kingdom away from you. And as useless as a torn piece of robe, so now Saul's leadership of the nation is. Now Saul's ruling against God, not for himself. He has torn the robe by grabbing it too tightly, which is a picture of pride and stubbornness and rebellion, isn't it? The strength of Israel, listen, you might want to underline that in your Bibles, right about uh, verse 29, you might want to underline that because it's the only place that it's used in the Bible. The strength of Israel will not lie nor relent. In other words, Saul might have thought, what can I do to fix it? Samuel's telling him the Lord has determined his plan and his purpose, he's determined his plan and purposes, and the strength of Israel says there's no way out. There was nothing you could do. This is permanent. There will be no change. Now you know Saul was a warrior. And easy for him to think that he's the strength of Israel, isn't it? But he wasn't. God is the strength of Israel. Saul's asking Samuel to show him some honor before the people. And again, are y'all getting this? Saul is still concerned about his image. He's more concerned about his image than he is about his soul. More concerned with reputation before the people than character before God. And then verse 32 through 35, honestly, should be rated extreme R for extreme and graphic violence. For Samuel, the issue is resolved. There's still one thing to do. There's still this matter of partial obedience on the table, yes? God commanded to utterly destroy all the Amalekites, and that still stood. Verse 32, Samuel said, bring Agag king here to me. And the Bible says Agag came cautiously. I was reading the Living Bible today and just kind of comparing the the various translations. And the Living Bible says Agag arrived full of smiles. I laughed about that all afternoon. That's just hilarious to me. I don't know why. It's funny. Because. And the reason he, he showed up full of smiles because he thought the worst was over. And Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless. So your mother shall be childless among women, and Samuel cut Agag up in pieces in Jesus' name. You know what I wrote? You know what I wrote in my margin? That's gangster. <laughs> y'all you know, need to write that's gangster right there. <laughs> I'm telling you, All right, that's what I look. Y'all know I, know? I know? I know? I'm with? Know I'm with y'all? Y'all see? you don't think the pastor know nothing, do you? Y'all don't think I know nothing? It is, so that is, that, that, that was like, I was like, whoa, <laughs> Saul didn't say, oh, let, let bygones be bygones. Well, let's just forget about it, you know, it's over, it's done, you know, don't do it again, yeah, learned your lesson, okay, you didn't do that, because God gave a command And Saul was interested, Samuel was interested to keep the command of God. Samuel makes it clear that Agag was not a bystander. Agag was wicked and a violent leader of a wicked and violent people. And Samuel was a priest who had officiated hundreds of animal sacrifices. So he knew how to use the blade to cut the flesh, but he never did it on a person. But notice, without hesitation, this old prophet of God raises a sword and hacked Agag to pieces, and the phrase before the Lord means he didn't do it to show off before Agag, obviously. He didn't do it to show off before Saul. He didn't do it to show off before Israel. It was before the Lord in tough obedience to the Lord. That's what that means. And Samuel didn't see Saul again until his death. Samuel wasn't cold-blooded and uncompassionate. Samuel hurt for Saul. I believe Samuel hurt for the hardness of his heart and the hazard of his soul. Now, in the Bible, listen, and I'll close right here. In the Bible, in the Scriptures, the Amalekites are a picture of sin in the flesh. Romans chapter 8 tells us that we are to mortify the deeds of the flesh. The Bible doesn't say turn over a new leaf on life concerning your flesh. The Bible doesn't say rehab the flesh. The Bible doesn't say reform the flesh. Listen to me because I'm almost done. You're almost done, all right? You're almost there. The Bible doesn't say reform the flesh. The Bible doesn't say uh, rehab the flesh. The Bible doesn't say resurrect the flesh. The Bible says put it to death. Mortify the deeds of the flesh. Agag represents the enemy or sin. So my question to you, I'm going to leave you right here, is, is there an agag in your life? Something that God has shown you to get rid of that you haven't dealt with. Something you need to hack to pieces. Something that God has shown you isn't healthy for your relationship with him. Some thought that you need to take captive. And not allow in your mind. If you don't kill Agag, listen, Agag will kill you. That's what you learn from chapter 15.
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina.